Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Psalms. I was all set to do an introduction and, and a Sunday morning message on Psalm and the Sunday. Spent the last couple of days up in Dora County for a concert up in um, Fish Creek. And then I studied this afternoon and then I turned on the TV and caught the evening news and I went, holy smokes, looks like it's hitting a fan in Israel. So uh, a week ago I was planning on just taking a week, maybe two at the most, and uh, between the book of Job and the book of Psalms, and actually bring us up to date a little bit with this group that's called ISIS, this uh, extreme group break off of Al-Qaeda, and give you some background on what's taking place right now. I mean, we have tanks on the border with uh, um, pretty much an all-out war trying to be diverted right, right now as we speak. It's escalated since this morning. So my, my plans are changed in um, wanting to make you aware biblically what's taking place in Israel, the significance of it. Um, this latest group, ISIS, has the potential uh, to, um, you know, set this fuse to, that could lead to an all-out war. And that brings us either to Psalm 83 or very possibly setting the stage with what Putin's doing with Russia. Iran, they're already in place. We've watched Turkey be a piece, piece of the puzzle. But what's happening right now is really leading to an all-out war. So as we get into this study tonight, yes, we're going to have an introduction to the book of the Psalms, but probably on Sunday we'll, we'll follow and just see how this thing escalates one way or the other. And um, um, if it continues, then I will probably just take a couple Sundays and bring us up to date on what's going on biblically on what's happening in Israel right now. And will this affect our trip to Israel? Very possibly. <laughs> Very possibly. It reminds me a lot of uh, the Gulf War in 1991. Um, it took four Calvary chapels to all come together for us to get a, a tour together. It was one of our best tours we ever had. A lot has happened um, since 1991, that's some 20 plus years ago. With that, if you're in the Psalms, we're making a transition from the book of Job into the book of Psalms. Um, I got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and started taking notes, 4 or 5 this morning. Even though we're in Dora County, I started jotting down notes for Sunday morning that actually I, I see some direct correlations. You know, you often wonder why we have these 66 books, Job is the oldest, why is it right before the Psalms? Never saw connections until about four o'clock this morning. So I got up and started taking some notes because I didn't want to forget. And they'll, they'll come out eventually. Um, but um, we are starting a new book. We're really switching gears big time from Job to the Psalms. The Psalms as we look at uh, just an introduction tonight, we probably will not get past chapter 2. Um, chapter 2 is really a picture of the aftermath of the Battle of Armageddon. And uh, it begins, really, it's a, lot of, a lot of the prophecies of, of the 257 verses that are mentioned in the New Testament. About um, more than half of them come from the book of Psalms. So if you find a quotation in the New Testament, um, almost half of them are going to come directly from the book of Psalms that we're, we're diving into. 
But as we get started tonight, let me just quote from Ephesians. I'm going to have you turn to one of the 316s in, in the Bible. Um, that's a whole study within itself. You can turn to Colossians 3.16. And while you're turning, I'll quote one from Psalm, I mean from Ephesians, from the New Testament, where we're actually told to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but as Eric was leading the song, We are set apart by his that song, that, that comes from one of the psalms. Richie Ferre put it to music. But um, the whole idea of singing and making melody in your heart, what would our Christian experience be if we didn't have worship and if we didn't have music? Can you imagine just getting up, just saying, okay, let's open our Bibles now too, instead of taking the time, being still, and actually just worshiping the Lord for a while, and it just changes everything. I mean, it has the potential to take, if, it's, if your heart is in there, it just has the potential to just open it up like a flower, rather than just getting into um, a systematic uh, intellectual study of the scriptures. If there's one thing I want to point out as we begin this book is the importance of um, music, the importance of singing, and... Um, as uh, Sean, I was jotted this bell in the back just before I came out here. It was a line from a Sean Colvin song. She says, without music, I could not get by. I don't know if she's saved or not, but there's a lot of truth in that whether you're saved or not saved. Music is such a powerful force. We were at a concert last night at one of the, I think, one of the most talented singer-songwriters that I'm aware of in our generation. I'll tell you a little bit about him later and how much music means to me, how much it meant to my dad and family. He was, you know, he was a barbershop quartet, four-part harmony guy all the way. And um, we argued all the time between uh, barbershop quartet and the Beatles. He did like the Beach Boys <laughs> because of their great harmonies. But uh, we did agree on the fact that we just loved music, and I grew up with music in the family. But here we're told in the book of Ephesians 5, that we're to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melodies in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God. In the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. If we're always to do this, here's one of the commandments that we have, just to make a merry song to the Lord. If you're in Colossians 3, here's one of the 316s in the Bible. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That's what the Wednesday night Bible study is all about. You guys left whatever you're doing. You took this hour so that we can get into some teaching where we get admonished. Notice it says in Psalms. That's where we're going to be. And in hymns. That's what we did before we started. And in spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, this is one of those three sixteens. If you do a study of the Bible, this is one of them that really sticks out. Go to James chapter 5. Just flip over there. Verse 13. It talks about the book of Job and suffering, 
Well, we're going from a book of suffering. It says in verse 13, is any among you suffering? Well, then let him pray. Well, that's what the book of Job was about, their prayers going unto the Lord. But then it says, is anybody cheerful? Then let him sing the Psalms. And here is another reference back to the book that we're about to dive into. Now, this evening, I just want to lay the background to this Uh, 150 chapters that we're going to be looking into. Some of them very, very long. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. I'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Psalm 117 is the shortest one. It's only two verses long. And if you have the middle of the Bible, that's going to be Psalm 118. So you have the longest psalm, Psalm 119. You have the shortest psalm, 117. But if you go to the middle of the Bible and the middle verse... There's an exercise on your own to check out to find out which one it is. I'm not going to tell you. So there. The Greek word, samos, comes from a Hebrew word, simply means to pluck. That's what the the meaning comes from, to pluck. The psalms were meant to be accompanied by stringed instruments. When we visit Israel, we'll visit the Temple Mount Institute where they have stringed instruments. They'll have the lyre, they will have the harp, and it is a stringed instrument. And the very meaning of the, of the word psalms means to pluck or to play. So every time we're gonna read one of these psalms, we have to have the attitude that this was written to be presented to the worship leaders in the temple and uh, they were to be put to music. Often we'll read um, an admonition before the psalm to the chief musician, and it's to be set either to uh, the lyre or to the harp or to a ten-stringed instrument. Music and making melody, uh, the Greek word simply means, if you put all this together, plucking the strings of. And um, I've played guitar since I've been 18 years old. And um, uh, music, and especially the, the stringed instruments like uh, the guitar, I have several, but I have a nice six string and I have a nice 12 string. And there's nothing that's, that, that's sweeter to the ear than different chords that can be strummed and played, especially when you have worship songs that you can put them to. So as we get into the Psalms, we want to take time and, and set the background for this. We're going from a book of suffering to a book that is going to deal a lot with suffering. David's going to be pouring his heart out. But what better way to express than with music rather than with words? And again, last night, um, I appreciate a gifted musician. Um, they Like getting back to Eric's earlier song here, Richie Foray is a Calvary Chapel pastor. A lot of people don't know that, but they know him from his... Um, musical days in Buffalo, Springfield, and Poco. Actually responsible for changing country music, the blend between rock and roll and country is a result of a guy named Richie Ferre. And um, anybody that studied this, you guys, like the, uh, the group that was, became most famous was probably the Eagles, but they basically, Don Henley and those guys, most of the bass players that were with the Eagles were with Poco at one time before, Jimmy Messina and, and Timothy B. Schmidt, before they were with the Eagles, they were with, with Poco. 
And, um, but Richie, Richie got saved in uh, the late 70s, and he left that all, at, all up behind. He is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the Lord still uses him today to write songs like, I'm sure of this thing, and, and the other songs that he has. He's Calvary Chapel pastor. But he has that gift, and uh, I appreciate the talent of a guy that's got, who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and says, well, I'm just going to use this gift, and no, I'm just going to use it for the Lord. And hopefully he'll be with us for the Prophecy Conference in the fall. We've talked about it, and he's been here many times in the past, but hopefully he'll be able to show up for this one too. But last night, a guy that I've been following for many, many years, his name is Bruce Coburn, he's a Canadian, and next to Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, he's the most famous. If you go to Canada, they even have a, we have a stamp here with Johnny Cash on it. Have you guys ever see a Johnny Cash stamp? Well, if you're Canadian, they have Bruce Coburn stamps. That's how well known he's up there. Well, Bruce got saved in the early 70s. I don't think he ever got rooted and grounded. All of his good Christian stuff that I like so much was probably earlier. But I can't name, hmm, maybe Phil Kage, um, a better guitar player. I'm sure they're out there because I'm not in that realm that much. But I appreciate the, the quality of uh, the ability of a Coburn, who not only can play so well, but he can um, articulate the gospel in one of the most creative forms I've ever heard. I waited all night to hear one song, and they, he finally played it as an encore, second encore, which was his conversion song. It's called All the Diamonds in the World. And uh, when he tells this story, he says, when I got saved, he realized he had to be honest about being a Christian. And he'll, he tells the story, this is where he came out with the song, All the Diamonds in the World. It was his conversion song. But you have to listen very, very carefully. And he has access to a lot of um, non-believers. I remember one, reading an article one time. The guy said, I'd be an atheist beyond any shadow of any doubt if it wasn't for the Bruce Coburn song, Lord of the Starfields, which is a, a very finely gifted song about the creator and the creation of the galaxy, Lord of the Starfields. It's that well put together. All that to say this, probably one of the most gifted singer-songwriters above the ones that I've just mentioned is a guy named King David. David has gonna, is going to write 73 of the 150 of these psalms. The first 41 that we're going to get into, he's a man's man, number one, um, he's a leader, he's the king of Israel. But where he first got his notoriety was when he was a young boy as a musician. When Saul was going through his terrible depressions and times when, the, when, when he was being uh, drugged down with depression, um, he asked for, he said, find the best musician you can find and bring him here and have him minister to me. And they said, well, we know, we know this guy named David in Bethlehem. He is really good. Well, that was after he killed Goliath, <laughs> then he went and he ministered to Saul. So here he is taking out a Goliath, and um, yet his real gift and what he's known for and really what you want to be known for and I want to be known for, not how much we got between our brains and how much we know about this book. We used to have a saying in the early 
Jesus days. So we, it went something like this. Don't tell me how much you know about Jesus. Show me how much like Jesus you are. That was one of our little phrases that we had here. A lot of people know a lot up here about Jesus, but when it comes to showing you know, the, the nature and the character, that's what they wanted to see. That's one of the things that, that drew us to Chuck, is he was a man who, um, he was gifted as a Bible teacher, but he had a smile that could just turn the sun right on. I mean, he just beamed it out. And um, you, could, you could just see the, the Lord in him. Well, when we read the Psalms, that's the setting. The very first 41 Psalms that we're going to dive into, they are set to music. It is more of an expression of the heart than it is about what's being communicated. Hebrew poetry is different. It doesn't have a rhyme to it. Like we have rhymes in our songs. and it, they'll, they'll come together with the, the last word connecting with another word. Not so with the Psalms. Their, their poetry is, is uh, different in that way. But the very meaning of, of the word psalms means sing with emotion. It should be plucked. It should be strummed, something that you should play. And the oldest one, as we do a little bit of background tonight, it's not just David. But if you want to take it all the way back to the beginning, we actually have the oldest one coming from Moses, and he's actually got two of them here. So we're going to work our way through this as we get into it. I'm going to have you turn to the book of Exodus as we look at the oldest psalm tonight. Exodus chapter 15. When you're delivered from something, you're usually happy and joyful about it. You know, if you get a big check in the mail, you can... And uh, you, know, you weren't expecting that one. You know, you grab your wife and you're dancing around the kitchen and you're all happy and joyful. Well, that bill's taken care of and that bill's taken care of and you're happy clappy for a while. Well, imagine having your back up against the wall. You got the whole Egyptian army in front of you and you got the Red Sea in back of you and you're dead and you know it. That's it. Until Moses stands up and he prays and the waters part one of the greatest miracles in the scripture. Not only that, but they walk over on dry land. And just as the last guy is getting up on the other end, Pharaoh and the whole Egyptian army decide they're going to go after him. And as they do, the waters fall back upon them. By the way, you can Google this very easily. Just Google um, chariot wheels in the Red Sea. See what you find. See what comes up. How many are there? They've actually found the spot that this, this happened. Well, when it was all done and over with, when they were surely defeated and there was no way out, then God provided a way, showed a way. And then when they were done with it, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 15, they wrote a song about it. And um, this is going to tie into Psalm 90, but it goes back to um, this praise song that came out of something that God has done. Now, if you're a musician here tonight, um, you maybe play other people's songs that you like. I have mine, that repertoire that I'm used to, that I grew up with, especially in the Shiloh days, that I still like to play to this, to this day. I still like to play them. Um, <clears throat> this one is one that's been set to music. 
Verse 1 of chapter 15, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang the song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captives also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who have risen against you. You sent forth your wrath, which consumes them like stubble. And when the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together, the flood stood upright like a heap, and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. And who is like you, O Lord among the gods? Who is like your, in your glory and in your holiness? Fearful in praise and doing wonders, you stretched out your hand, the earth swallowed them. And you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation, which is now where they ended up. I have Jerusalem in my, my side of my Bible here. And then the chiefs of Edom, the people will be afraid and sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of, of Philistia. Now it's interesting if I would stop right here. Here it is, you know, David wrote, about 3,000 years ago. So this would be before David's time. But the, the reference to Philistia, we would call the land of the Philistines, is what we call the Gaza Strip tonight in 2014. So here, all these years later, here's a song that's being, they're singing about, you've delivered us from the inhabitants of the stronghold of Philistia. And all these years later, Israel still has their enemies. Their backs are against the wall. They're being threatened on all sides by this new radical group of Hamas called ISIS. And um, the Bible, let me just get a little sidetracked here. Just a little sidetracked here. And uh, with whatever happens, the Bible tells us that they're never going to leave the land again. So this is one of the things, when, as we watch what's unfolding in the Middle East, there's going to be a lot of carnage the Bible talks about. But Israel will never be driven out of the land before the Lord establishes his kingdom. But what's interesting about this is how far it goes back with the enemies. Here we have the Gaza Strip, and that's where the, the tanks of Israel are gathered tonight. And maybe by the time we get home, something will happen. That's what uh, Wolf Blitzer was saying. Is that his name? Something like that? That's what I was saying when I walked out the door. He says, well, the next couple hours we'll probably know. So by the time we get home, we'll have to, we'll have to see what's happening. Back to the psalm. To the, to the chiefs of Edom, in their dismay, by the way, that they were firing rockets from the Gaza Strip into Ashkelon. Ashkelon was one of the 
five Philistine cities. And um, they got a barrage of them that showed, that showed them on the, the news tonight, some wedding party being disrupted in Israel because of it. The mighty man of Moab, now that would be East Jordan, east of the uh, Jordan. Trembling will take hold of them, and all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, there will be as still a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountains of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have been established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. There's the song. And um, sing to the Lord, verse 21, and Miriam, Miriam answered with a song, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Well, here it says they will be established, but they've just gotten <laughs> through the Red Sea. They are not established in the land. They're going to be wandering for another 40 years but they're there today. I mean, just think about that. They're there today on May 14th, 1948. They are back in the land. They're established. They are flourishing. And um, the technology that exists in Israel surpasses our own technology here. And uh, the Lord said that in verse 17, he would establish them. He has. And he's put them back into the land. All right, what we've just read is the oldest of the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 90. And let's connect some dots here. So we're not even going to go to Psalm 1, just go to Psalm 90. And it tells us we're going to tie these two Psalms together because this is a prayer of Moses. So as we start the Psalms, if I would do it in a chronological order of um, age, we would put Moses there first because he's before David, of course. And I've been thinking about this some um, after reading it this afternoon. Because I've been, like I said, I've been following this one particular musician because of his talent for hmm, over 30 years now. And I remember when he was young and he had all of his hair was dark and he had a beard. And now he's, um, <laughs> he, he's white-haired <laughs> and he hunches over a little bit and he's 69 years old. Now, just think of that. I said 69, because it's going to tie into this psalm I'm about to read. And this is from Moses. And as we get into the psalms, this is going to be the oldest of the psalms. So he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it's past. Now, in the New Testament, that's going to be as spoken of again. It says, One day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, as far as God is concerned. Both the same to him. And what's interesting about that is a prophecy in Joel. No, it's in Hosea that says after two days he's going to bring them back into the land, after two days. And then the third day it says, I'm going to live in his sight. 
Now just think about that. Um, it's been 2,000 years since Israel's been out of the land. Just a couple days. And after 2,000 years, now they're back in the land. It says, but on the third day, that would be this entering this next millennium. It says, I'm, we are going to live in the sight of the Lord. Now, that's a prophecy concerning the kingdom age. And um, I allude to it here because it talks about a thousand years is just like yesterday as to the Lord. Like a watch in the night comes and goes that quick. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. It's like the dew in the morning. It's there for a couple hours and it's gone. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. For you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Now verse 9. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years with a sigh. And the days of our lives are 70 years. And I was looking at Bruce last night, knowing he was 69 years old. Seeing that he doesn't have that you know, that step that he once had. Still got it, but he just just doesn't have that step that he once had, if you know what I mean. And the reason for that is, is because what's been allotted to us is 70 years, three score and 10. And if by reason you take a lot of garden of life products and you take a lot of healthy things and you're eating really healthy and you might make it, it says, to 80 years, these days, I guess the average age today in America is 77.6 or something like that. But it's not in Haiti, I know that. It's under 50. But if by reason, by strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. So let's say you do make it to 80. The thing of it is, when you get from 70 to 80 and you still got to work, it's just that much tougher. <laughs> and it's harder because the joints are aching that much more. Um, Dave Hunt would. Uh, Dave Hunt was a big, a Garden of Life product guy, and Dave would call me. We wouldn't talk about Bible prophecy, and we wouldn't talk about the second coming of the Lord. He wanted to talk about um, Garden of Life products in particular, and he had some missionary friends that he wanted to get some too. So, um, another little sidetrack here. I won't won't come back to it. It's an introduction. Come on, give me a break. It was it was um, Christmas, the week before Christmas, about five years ago, and Dad was still alive. And he's on his computer reading the Berean call because Dave Hunt is his hero as far as being a defender of the faith and a man who won't compromise with anything. That was, that was Dave. My, my dad liked Dave Hunt. And I happened to be down there, and I got a phone call. I could see it. I knew it was, I knew it was Dave. And um, we were talking about one of the prophecy conferences or something. But all he wanted to talk about was Garden of Life products. And I said, I'll make you a deal, Dave. And he says, what? I said, you say, you say Merry Christmas to my dad, and we'll get you the Garden of Life products. He says, deal. So I walk out to the office. My dad's reading the Brian call. And I said, Dad, somebody's on the phone, wants to wish you a Merry Christmas. And he says, I'm busy. I said, I think you want to take this one. And he says, give it to me. And he says, hi, Larry, Merry Christmas. This is Dave Hunt. And it was one of the few times in my life that my dad did not 
talk back for at least 10 or 15 seconds. He was, he, he was in transition because he, he knew the voice. He knew it was Dave Hunt. So it made, it made my dad's Christmas, and, um, uh, and now they're both with the Lord. Talk about, you know, it seems like yesterday, but as I read this, what is the psalmist saying? It's like a vapor. I could tell the story like it happened yesterday. I remember it like it happened yesterday. To me, it was yesterday. But yet it's just a, a flash in the pan. We're here, we're gone. And you have that little dash in between that we fill in and say, here's your life. That's what Moses is saying here. The very first psalm. You got 70 years. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to invest it? And then, it's, and, then, and then it's cut off. And notice it says, it's full of labor and sorrow. And we're soon cut off and we fly away. Gone. Who knows the power of your anger, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So here's the application. As we begin the Psalms, this is what we need to zero in on. Guys, you got so much time. You got so many days. You got so many hours. So Moses says, so teach us to number our days. How many do you have left? If you use this as as the chart, and uh, if I do the math with mine, I'm a whole lot closer on this side than I was when 40 years ago when I began all this. A whole lot closer. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. And what are you going to do with the days that you have left? How, how will they be counted? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Again, I thought of Bruce last night because to me, in my thinking, with the gift that he has and the influence that he has, and people that are non-believers with the talents that he has, if it would have been used full on for the gospel, if he would have got rooted and grounded, what could have been, what would have been, rather than all the accolades that can be thrown your way as one of the greatest guitar players or singer-songers, whatever. And, you know, you can have your glory now or you can have it later. That's really what it comes down to. So as we look at the Psalms and it says, this is what you got. You got this much time. You got 70 years. If you're really healthy and you work out and do all that stuff, you got 80. But when all is said and done and the accounting's done, the Lord says, figure it out and then apply it to wisdom. And where's your time? Where's your money? Where are your resources? Now, last night I was sitting with my wife, Judy, and um, Mary Danielson was sitting on this next side of her. And then there was Tim Danielson here and there was Eric Edwards here. And we're watching this concert. And I got to tell you, as much as I enjoyed that conference last night, there was more spiritual content and satisfaction this evening, and that's a compliment to you guys, than this great concert that we were at last night. So there's only three people in the house that can say amen to that, but can I get an amen from that? (laughs) Eric doesn't want to say amen for himself. We're blessed to have people that have used their gifts and decided to use it in the same way as the Psalms, just to glorify the Lord, and to bless you guys. And what a blessing it is to have gifted, talented musicians that have dedicated their life to serve and worship the Lord, and it's just a blessing to us. Amen? It is. We're very, very blessed. I mean, we we have great musicians come through here, and they go, do you have any idea how fortunate, how good those guys really are? And I said, yeah, I really do. I really do know how good they are. After that many years, the Lord has blended them together, and um, they're just a blessing to have. 
So it goes on, return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servant. O satisfy us early in your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, and the years which we have seen evil. Let your works appear to your servants, and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord be upon us, and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And here you have Psalm 90 that comes from Exodus, and it's the oldest of all the Psalms. All right. That was the first one. If you look at the peak of the Psalms, that would, of course, bring us to David. Now we have to go back 3,000 years. You can turn back to the first Psalm. I'll get to it eventually. We'll see how far we get tonight. I'd like to get through one and two. But again, just in, in background, the height of the Psalms, of course, the glory years of Israel would have been under David. His heart's desire was to build the temple for the, the Lord. And um, he was known as a man after God's own heart. That's what he applied himself to. And we see the heart of David. He had 73 Psalms that he's attributed of, about half of them, just a couple short, uh, too short of literally half of all the Psalms were written by King David. Asaph um, had 12. He would be next. The sons of Korah, these were the Levites that would have been in the temple, that would have served. They had 12 Psalms. Solomon, who I'm going to camp out on here, just had two of them. And Solomon was known for his intellect, right? He said, Lord, give me wisdom. That's what I want. And the Lord did. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, there was nobody wiser before or after than Solomon. He was smarter than, than all of them. But in the New Testament, when the Lord speaks about him, it's almost in a derogatory term, like even um, Solomon and all of his glory, with all that he had, can't be compared to the lilies of the field. Almost a side slap instead of a compliment. Well, as we look at the Psalms, David was known for not his intellect, but he was known for having a heart after God. And he wrote 73 of them. Solomon, on the other hand, only wrote two of them. He's known not for the Psalms. He's known for Proverbs, which, by the way, are excellent. We should be reading Proverbs all the time. We'll get there eventually. Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon. So as I make a father-son comparison here, I would say the Psalms is really about the heart, and the Proverbs is really about the head. David had 73 of them. Solomon only had two, Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. Moses had one. Heman had one. Ethan had one. And there's 48 others that we're not sure who penned them. Could have been David. Could have been Asaph, could have been somebody else. And the way that they're arranged, um, if you would break up the 150 Psalms, there, there's five different categories. And as I go into each category, I'll, I'll explain them. But I'm just going to take a little time here and just talk about the prophetic part of the Psalms. Turn over to... Um, Oh, just one example, the one with probably the most would be Psalm 22. Turn over there. 
Psalm 22 and Psalm 118. Get into the, the prophetic and the prophecy part of, of the Bible. I'm looking in my study Bible right now at 22 different Psalms that are <clears throat> prophetic as, as it pertains to uh, the coming of the Lord. But Psalm 22, in verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's exactly what Jesus said on the cross. And then verse 7, um, also 7 and 8, all those who look at me laugh me to scorn. There's more insight here given to the suffering of Jesus than we find in the New Testament. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It melts within me. Um, verse 16 and 17, the Gentiles, the dogs surround me, the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Execution of, of the cross wasn't, wasn't brought on until the Romans came on the scene. And uh, far before its time, I can count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments and my lots. They, they cast lots for my clothing. And uh, so Psalm 22 has at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Psalm 118 is um, um, the ones that were quoted on the day of um, Palm Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. This was a prophecy that comes from Psalm 118. So even though this would have been set to music, um, we have the Holy Spirit working out prophetically. Um, this is a whole other aspect to the book of the Psalms. It's a book of prophecy. And again, it's quoted more often than, than any other book in the New Testament. Let's turn to Psalm 119, the longest psalm. We could actually do a, 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 literally a four-week study just on the introduction on the Psalms and just how unique it is than, than the other books that are there. For instance, in Psalm 119, this is called an acrostic or you might want to use the word alphabetic psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible, but it is, it is laid out in such a way that it has, um, if the first eight verses here, um, alph is the first letter in the uh, Hebrew alphabet, and if you would count them, if you went through the whole psalm, it uh, tells the next one in verse 9 it says if your if your bible is like mine how many of you have the word b-e-t-h above verse 9 most of you do so what i want you to see as we go through these is there's 22 letters in in the hebrew alphabet and psalm 119 will go through the first eight verses and they will use elf as uh, the beginning of it and then in verse 9 it starts with the beth and by the time you get to verse um 17 is Gamel, and you can go through the whole Hebrew alphabet. You have Psalm 119, and each one of them contains 
the whole Hebrew alphabet, and we call that acrostic, or it's the alphabet. It's the Hebrew alphabet that has 22 letters in it. Well, the other thing that you would read here is that every verse, except for maybe one or two, makes some reference to the Bible. It will either use um, your commandments, your word, your statutes, your judgments, are in every single verse. The longest one here, and there's only going to be a couple verses that, that will be the exception to the rule. And so Psalm 119 is unique and that it is laid out with the Hebrew alphabet. But every one of the verses, now let's just look at verse 57 just for an example of Psalm 119 under the alphabet heth, H-E-T-H. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. All right, there's a reference to the Bible. Um, Be merciful to me according to your word. In verse 59, I have thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. So try to do that. I mean, just try to put that much together in an alphabetical setting, but put the word of God in there in every single verse. Pretty tough to do. And yet that's how Psalm 119 is laid out. So not only is it poetic, not only is it prophetic, but the, um, the intricate detail in the longest psalm is just a marvel when you, when you study it. All right, um, the shortest, again, I made reference to this earlier. If you go back to Psalm 117, the shortest one is Psalm 117. And that is, oh, praise the Lord, you Gentiles. That would be us guys. How's that for Wisconsin talk? Us guys? Hey, once? Hey? Oh, praise the Lord, all you his Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. For his merciful kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. And then praise the Lord. There's the shortest one. And in Psalm 118 is the one right in the middle. Psalm 118 has um, um, Jesus quoted, well, let's just uh, take this. Go to verse, as long as we're using 17, 18, and 19, just to show the, where the prophecies would tie in here. Go to Psalm 118 and, and look at verse 22 through 26. This is a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in Luke chapter 19. And here's the irony of this uh, Here's the irony of this prophecy from Psalm 118. When the Pharisees saw Jesus being worshipped by the crowds on Palm Sunday, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were quoting Psalm 118 on that Palm Sunday day. And the religious leaders knew it. And they said, teacher, rebuke your followers. They think you're the Messiah. Correct them. But he said, I can't do that. He said, if I would cause them to be silent, then the stones would have to break out and sing. Somebody's going to be praising the Lord this day. Why? Because in verse 24 it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. That's not a general term. It's referring to a specific day that Jesus would allow himself to be worshipped. This was that day. And so Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, I can't tell them not to do that because this is the day that was foretold in Psalm 118 that I would be worshipped. We will rejoice and be glad in it. 
And he, in verse 22, it says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Let's go to Luke chapter 19 real quickly. And you just don't want to play mind games with the creator of the mind because he'll turn it around on you. And that's exactly what he does here. You see, they were going to trap him with Psalm 118. They knew it was a prophecy. And they missed it, and the people got it right. But then in Psalm, in Luke chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, Jesus tells the parable of the vineyard owner. And the parable is basically God sending prophet after prophet after prophet, saying the Messiah is going to come. Make straight the way of the Lord. Be ready for him when he comes. But whenever they would send a prophet, like Jeremiah, they would throw him in a pit. They would pay no attention to him. They say Isaiah was sawn in two. Um, All the prophets, that's what this parable is about. If you pick it up in verse 9, Jesus is speaking now a parable against these religious leaders. He said, A certain man planted a vineyard and leased it to vine dressers. And then he went into a country for a long time. And now the time came that he sent servants to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent another servant, and they beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him and cast him out. These are the prophets. Old Testament prophets that would have been sent to Israel. They wouldn't listen. Um, In particular, Jeremiah saying, you're going to go into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Well, nobody wanted to hear that message. It wasn't very uplifting. It wasn't very encouraging, but it was true. But Jeremiah, that's why he was called the weeping prophet, because he had that message. And they cast him out. Then verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I know, I will send my only beloved son, and they'll respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, now these would be the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Israel, they said, come, let us kill him. Well, that's what they've been plotting all the way up to the time of this day, plotting to kill Jesus. And the inheritance will be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him, therefore... Now he's told the, the story. When our, now you get to the therefore. When you get to the therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? <laughs> well, the therefore is everything that he's just said. Now he's told his piece. Now he says, therefore, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do to them? Jesus says, i tell you what I'll do. He will come and destroy those vine dressers, and he'll give the vineyard to others. And they understood what Jesus was saying. And they, the religious leaders, said, certainly not. And what does the Lord do? He points them back to the very one that they were telling Jesus the people couldn't quote, Psalm 118. Now he turns it around on them. He says, okay, you guys want to play with Psalm 118? Let me put it in context. So he puts it in context, and he says, I'm talking about you guys. You're saying that the stones... Uh, that you can't, this is the day that they're not going to worship me? Oh, they're going to worship me. If they don't, something will. And if you want to come after me, well, let me turn it back on you. And he quotes verse 17. He says, well, what is written here then? The stone 
which the builders rejected. That would have been the religious leaders. They were rejecting Jesus that day. Well, he's become the chief cornerstone. And then he gives verse 18, and I'll tie it into Psalm 1 in just a moment here. One of two groups of people in the world. And you have one or two options when it comes to Jesus and the gospel. So he says in verse 18 to these religious leaders, whoever falls on the stone, the stone, of course, is Christ, going way back to Daniel, the stone cut without hands coming out, will be broken. You give your life to the Lord, you come to the Lord, the Lord will work in you, he will humble you, he will make you more like him and less like you. As John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. So he's going to do that in your life. It's a breaking process. It's good, not bad. So you can come to the Lord and have that work take place. But if you don't, he says, whoever that stone falls upon, it will grind him to powder. And I'll tell you what I think of when I read that verse. I think of Daniel's dream. I think of the worldly kingdoms. And I see the stone cut without hands that hits the image. And what does it do to the image? It says it ground it to powder. And the wind came and just blew it all away. All the kingdoms of the world. One or two options with Christ. You can either come to him, humble yourself. Lord, come into my life. I give it to you. And he'll begin his work in you. Or you can harden your heart. And then he'll deal with you on judgment day. And either way, um, those are the two options. Got a little sidetracked on Psalm 118. Let's go back to Psalm 1. But Psalm 1 pretty much sets up where we want to go here. I really wanted to just touch on 1 and 2, just to sort of break the ice as we get into the Psalms. Psalm 1 is a contrasting psalm. It's only six verses long. It's cut right down the middle. And just like in Luke 19, it says you can have one of two options. Well, there's one of two groups of people in the world. In the first verse, and this is how the psalm begins, blessed is the man, or happy is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Ungodly counsel. You know how much money people spend on seeing counselors in our country today at 120 bucks an hour? A whole lot of money. A whole lot of money going on. So whenever we have a study like this, it gives me an opportunity to talk about counseling. Let's talk about Christian counseling. How do we go about it here at Calvary Chapel? Well, usually people make a phone call. And they say, I have a question about something that I'm going through. Maybe their life is falling apart. Maybe there's things, they just have a, a, a question. And they call, and um, we make an appointment. People come in. How can we help you? What's up? And so how we handle biblical counseling in the Calvary Chapel Ministries is we ask them, what's their situation? And then a two-way process begins. You listen here, horizontally, and um, at the same time you're listening to whatever they're asking you, you're listening this way to see what might be spoken about in this book. Whatever the question is, hopefully the person who's coming in for the counseling 
really doesn't want my opinion or my advice, but what they're there for is what does the word have, of God have to say about this particular issue? And so the charge for that is freely you have been given, so freely give it out. So we want to give me an amen on that? I do not agree with Christian counseling that charge a fee. I have to question the motive. I have to question maybe why they might need another session. They're only human beings. And if, it, and if money's involved in it, then there could be alternative motives. So when it comes to Christian counseling, there, of course, should never, money should never be an issue. That's my, our personal take at, at Calvary. So a lot, of, a lot of the pastors, they go, well, you know, I did a Bible study on that three months ago. Go to the tape lending. Oh, I said it. Tape lending library. Nobody's going to bust me on that one. Come on. Wake up. <laughs> All right. It's getting close to 8 o'clock time. Get that CD because we taught on that. And this is what the Bible says on that particular issue. Christian counseling. And so it should be without cost because what I have been given, my salvation is free. I'm a beggar just like you. Found some bread. I know who the baker is. It's really that simple. And maybe you're not grounded yet in the Bible and you don't understand the implications of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Hamas and what's taking place in the Middle East. Well, I've been around long enough that we can have a Bible study in that and talk about it very accurately and thoroughly this Sunday and show you how that's going to fit in prophetically. And really, you as Christians should be the one with the most insight on what's taking place in the world today. And I'm going to say this, and I don't mean it in a derogatory term, but our president doesn't have a clue. And if he does, he's not doing anything about it. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's just a matter of fact. That's a a factual statement that I'm making. And we're seeing the nations of the world gather against Israel right now. All right, verse 2. But this man who doesn't have the counsel of the world, but the counsel of the Lord, his delight, instead of worldly counsel, is in the law of the Lord, and it's in this he meditates day and night. So the way that a person grows, just turn quickly to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we get close to winding up tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 6, great way to end up a Wednesday night Bible study. Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Gang, I can't tell you how important it is what you're doing here tonight. And none of us do it as often as we should. Because the man who's blessed, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, what he does do is he gets his head in this book and he studies it all the time. He has devotions in the morning and he has Bible studies during the week and he's at Ben's prayer and then there's church on Sunday morning and then there's fellowship and then there's whatever. But in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you today will be where? Notice, in your heart. Not your head, but in your heart. You will teach them diligently. There's only one way I know to go about doing that, is sitting down and going through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and do it diligently and continually. I'm going on 40 years now 
on doing it and loving it more, not less. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and as a frontlet between your eyes. You will write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Judy and I went shopping at a thrift store in Sister Bay. And one of the things that caught my eye is a plaque. It said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Two bucks. What a deal. (laughs) So what are you going to do with it? I think about it right now because that's what we brought it home for, to put it on our door. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you shall write them on the doorpost of of your house and on your gate. The word of God, just put it right there. But notice that they're to do it when they rise up, when they lie down. Another good verse that goes along with this, meditating upon the Bible day and night, is, um, is Isaiah chapter 26, 3. With all the craziness in the world, we can still have peace in the midst of the storm. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. How? Whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusts in thee. As long as, it's like Peter in the storm out on the Sea of Galilee. As long as his eyes were on the Lord, he was walking on water, no problemo. Then he took his eyes off the Lord, put it on the storm, and he sunk like a stone. He said, ah, Lord, help. And the Lord reached out and helped him, pulled him right up. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on the Lord in the midst of the storm. Because uh, he trusts in him. So the fruit, verse 3, the fruit of not having ungodly counsel, but meditating on the word of God, well, the results will be, verse 3, he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in due season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. Now, this has been taken out of context by the prosperity teachers, And they said, if you're walking right with the Lord, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and rich all at the same time. That's not what that means. What it does mean is the fruit. When it talks about fruit, well, what's fruit? Well, the fruits of the Spirit. Do you have that peace that passes understanding? Well, yeah, if you're you're keeping your mind on the Lord and in his word, you'll have that perfect peace. You'll have hope, no matter what's happening in the Middle East or what you're going through. I've read the end of the book. I've read the end of Job. And it worked out just fine, so I have hope. So the fruit that it talks about here is really the contentment and satisfaction and a stability of body, soul, and mind that comes with keeping your mind in the Word of God. The first three verses, towards the believer. The result, you will prosper, your soul will prosper and be satisfied. In closing, verses 4 through 6, again, here's the other side of the coin. Two groups of people in the world. Here's the other ones. The ungodly are not so. But they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. No, any trend that comes through, they'll be hitching their wagon to it. The latest fad that goes through. There's no stability. They're looking for some sort of change. Whatever's blowing through town, that's what they're into. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
what will be the fruit of the ungodly who don't, do not have that um, solid foundation to stand upon. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. I'll close tonight while summing it up by saying what we're about to enter into is a very practical verse about two different kinds of people. People that know the Lord, they'll flourish, they'll be satisfied, they'll prosper. The ungodly won't. But just to show you how quickly and how diverse the Psalms are, we're going from a very practical teaching to what's one of the biggest prophecies in the Bible, and that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're not going to get there tonight. But what's unfolding in the world today is the nation's gathering against the Lord as the nations are coming against Israel. So as you go home tonight and turn on your TVs, think about Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And um, they're taking counsel right now as we speak. I wrote down the name of uh, the guy. i got to see if I actually ran into him at the American colony in Jerusalem. He's a, he's a Palestinian negotiator. They're talking to him as I speak. And I'll butcher his name Saib Arakat. Paul Clark and I were sitting in the American colony, and the paparazzi p- comes in, and they scatter. They, everybody has to leave. And then we're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Well, we found out it was the Palestinian negotiator. He was on Fox News before I came here tonight. They were interviewing him. It was the same guy. And, um, of course, he's saying that there has to be a two-state solution because of all this problem that's happening right now. Psalm 2 is leading all up to to this. Well, I'm past my time, and we have introduction, but I did make it through one psalm. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Let's stand and we'll pray. We are so grateful, Lord, for your word. In these uncertain times, we have this unbelievable book that you've given to us. You say heaven and earth will pass away, but not your word. We thank you for the solid rock of the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that it has a heart and a soul to it, and we're so grateful for it. So, Lord, we pray for Israel this evening. We pray for this book as we're about to get into it. We thank you for the complexity of this word and how it ministers to us, and how it does cause us to produce that fruit that only, Lord, your spirit can. So, Lord, we promise to give you all the glory for what you're doing. Just please continue to do it. We thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.